You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome back to another edition of the USC Triple Double Podcast. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, along with my illustrious co-host, Connor Morissette, <laughs> Mr. Triple Double himself. Connor, how are we doing today? Doing very well. Thank you for that very nice intro. <laughs> Gotta keep you on your toes over there. <laughs> for any first-time listeners, the USC Triple Double Podcast, part of the Peristyle Podcast family of shows, the USC Triple Double Podcast is one focused on the Trojan men and women of Troy basketball programs. Each week, we break down all the latest action for both teams. We look forward to the upcoming matchups as well. This week, we got a big Crosstown showdown victory for the men, as well as another top 15 win for the top women of Troy before they saw their seven-game win streak snapped, unfortunately. That was a tough break. Let's start there, recapping with the women's games. So they get a win over Colorado on Friday night, 87-81. Juju Watkins with another masterful performance, 42 points on 10 of 19 shooting. And Shotgun, we've talked about it on the podcast a lot. She made all of her free throws in this one, 18 of 18 from the line. Did have 10 turnovers, but when you're playing that well, I think you can overcome those turnovers, as she did. USC as a team, 24 of 25 from the free throw line. The Trojans shot 57% from the field and 68% from three, 13 of 19. Mackenzie Forbes had 24 points. And even though Colorado shot really well, USC just executed better, and that was the difference. Offense won them that game. And then on Sunday, though, the three-point shot dries up, and USC loses to Utah for the second time this season, 74 to 68. That was tough because Utah a couple nights earlier got crushed by UCLA, 82-52. So the Utes, they were angry and they came in and they played well. Juju was tired in that one. We'll hear from Lindsay Gottlieb in a little bit about what she was dealing with. She went into the locker room in the second quarter and just wasn't herself. 10 of 30 from the field. Did have 30 points, but just not as efficient. Caitlin Davis had a great game until she fouled out. She was 6 of 6 from the floor for 13 points. Alyssa Peely, who's been really tough to guard for USC this season, 5 of 10 and scored 23 points. A lot of great role players did well for the Utes as well. So, uh, yeah, one and one on the the homestand, but uh, still things are trending in the right direction for the women of Troy for sure. Yeah, the women of Troy did see their seven-game win streak snapped, so into that win streak. But the men, maybe they're looking like they can get a win streak going after making UCLA head coach Mick Cronin break out a bunch more quotes about his team being soft, basically. So USC went in there and you know showed some physicality and won a matchup that's Maybe they couldn't win earlier in the season. Maybe things are actually moving a little bit forward with the team. What do you, what do you think, Connor? Well, what's the recap on that one look like? Big win against UCLA, 66-62. Boogie Ellis is back. He scored 24 points in, in a game where offense was tough to come by for, for both teams in that one. Him scoring 24 points, that, that was big. And he really set the tone with 11 points. Yeah, 62-56, my bad. Thank you. That was the score, not 66-62. Thank you. Yep, had an error on the Google Doc, but live radio, got to love it. So, yeah, Boogie Ellis had the big game. Isaiah Collier, 11 points. Kobe Johnson, 10 points, including a dagger three. And Chuck, and I don't know if he's hitting that shot 
earlier in the season. That was great to see. UCLA had a 15 to one run at the end of the first half to tie the score at halftime, but then in the second half couldn't score at all. They only shot 28%. And even though it was close at the end, a little bit, USC was in control for most of that second half. So that was significant being on the road. And then we saw Mick Cronin just go off at the end and his team. And that was funny to hear and, and watch big win for the Trojans. We'll see if they can build on it. Yeah. We're definitely going to have to talk more about that Trojans win at Poly Pavilion and whether it can finally be that springboard win, they need to be playing their full potential as they go into the Pactual tournament. But first, we got to talk some women's hoops action with this week's guest. Our favorite guest, as we said last time, Lindsay Gottlieb, head coach of the Women of Troy. Lindsay, thanks so much for once again taking the time to join us. No problem. I love that. I love that I'm the favorite. I, I that's just That means a lot, so I appreciate it. Well, we enjoy having you on here because you provide so much insight. Uh, and last time we got fiery, Lindsay. Uh, you know, it was after the loss to Washington. So we've got to jump in. You guys are coming off a loss. Sorry to get you necessarily off and just how the schedule worked out. Don't blame us for ruining the win streak. Uh, but uh, are we going to get li- fiery, Lindsay, today? Or how was how the, how was the, how have you gone from, uh, how have you kind of taken the loss from uh, against Utah on Sunday and uh, how you guys had bounced back from it during practice this week? Well, this is how I see you guys, right? Last time I spoke with you, we went on a seven-game winning streak. So that's how I see it, right? I'm coming on today, not thinking it's after a loss. I'm just thinking I come on the show and we go on a seven-game winning streak. And if we do that, that takes us, you know, in, in into the Sweet 16 or something like that. So, uh, no, in all seriousness, I mean, we, we, we hate losing. Um, it was uh, frustrating, you know, because it was senior day. You want that win for your seniors, but more importantly because um, – you know, every game is a chance to solidify, you know, where we are in the standings of the Pac-12 and beyond. That being said, um, you know, I, I, everything we want is still in front of us. Um, we have a chance to go grab two wins in the desert this weekend if, if we play well enough to do so and, and you know, finish at the, the worst with the second seed in, in the Pac-12 tournament. So we, we got to move on quickly. We got to learn the lesson. I think the major lesson this time is we're heading into March and in March it's one and done. So you can't have, even against a really good team like Utah, you can't have a mistake here or there in the game plan. It'll cost you. And I think, um, I mean, I'm always a little fiery after loss, but I think it's, it's um, more now we're at a point where we, we, we know what we're capable of and we know what we need to correct and let's just go ahead and do it. Lindsay, the last time we talked, you mentioned the seven game, win streak, but I feel like your team was still finding its footing a little bit. You beat UCLA, but there were still some questions. Could this team win on the road? What was the ceiling for this team? And then to win those seven in a row, which included a win at Stanford and Juju had the huge game and then a win at Oregon state. What was the key to going on that run? And what did you learn about your team over that seven game win streak? Um, You know, the, the, the fiery Tuesday that I talked to you, we also showed some brutal film, you know, and it wasn't mean spirited. It wasn't anything. It was, Hey, if we want to get where we want to go, we got to, we got to look in the mirror here and be better. Um, and, I, and I think to the players credit, they really did that. And, you know, we had, we had some moments saying, okay, what are we capable of and what is it going to take to get there? Um, and then the players have put the work in. Um, that's like the emotional part of it. Right. I think like emotionally, we conference is a test of how you handle what happens to you good and bad. And I think we passed that test of coming through that a little bit stronger from a basketball standpoint. I I do think we've caught a rhythm. I think a couple of things, the longer we've played together, I think we have a confidence in one another and how to find ways to, to win. I think we've been more rhythmic on the offensive end. Obviously, you know, Juju has the phenomenal game at Stanford, but we've won in a number of different ways um, on the offensive end and contributions from, 
different people. We see different coverages. And if you're going to put, you know, two or three people on her, Padilla is shooting 50% from three and Forbes can score and we can get inside production from, from Rhea and KD. So I think we found a better rhythm on offense. The second thing is defensively, you know, there was a lot of talk about um, Juju's 51, obviously, and rightfully so, but we wouldn't have won that game even with her 51, if we hadn't guarded, you know, the interior and Brink and Iriafin the way that we did, I think that we found in a defensive toughness, um, the Oregon State game, you know, we weren't clicking on all cylinders offensively, but we we grinded out and played defense. Uh, I think the reemergence of Caitlin Davis has been huge. You know, she missed a bunch of time in November and December, and I don't think really caught a rhythm in, in, until these past couple weeks. And you know, she helps us on the boards. We've outbounded our opponents almost every game since the Washington loss. Um, you know, we, we have different people contributing in different ways. I think at Cal, uh, Kayla Williams coming off the bench was a real tempo changer. So I think people are finding their roles. We're finding more of a rhythm offensively, and we've been tough enough defensively most of the time. Since you mentioned Caitlin Davis, go there. Uh, you know, seems like she's been the team's X factor. She's been efficient on offense. She's providing defense. You can play her on different, you know, on different spots on defense, you know, probably two through five or so. Um, and she's showing some athleticism. Maybe she didn't show early in the season because of that knee injury and, you know, being ill and whatnot. How important will she be potentially for a postseason run with all the different little things that she does for you? I mean, she's tremendously critical in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, at this time of year, all your pieces are right. But like you mentioned, she gives us a physicality inside. She gives us switchability in pick and roll. Um, she gets transition buckets. She's all over the offensive boards. Uh, she's very versatile. She can pass. She can score. Um, so she's really, really important. Uh, and then other times, you know, we can go small. Um, if she plays the five and we play four guards and then there's a little more shooting on the floor, we can go big. Uh, and play her with Rhea or Clarice. We've shown a little bit of Rhea and Clarice together. Like we just want to, we just want to have everything we need heading into the stretch run here. Um, and I, I do think KD is kind of a Swiss Army knife in that sense. It's all ahead of you, of course, but with two games to go in conference play, twenty-one and five, number seven in the country. Is this better, worse, or about where you expected to be so far? I mean, we were picked to finish sixth in this league. Um, and we had a lot of unknown, right? Like no one knew exactly how good Juju was going to be on this stage immediately. We, we really only had a couple of returning players who played significant minutes. So you put in all these grad transfers around her. Um, so I would say, you know, my expectations are always high, but we're pretty proud of sitting at where we're sitting at. And maybe it's a little bit ahead of schedule, I guess, but I, you know, you want, when you look at a group to say we're capable of anything, I think the thing that the things that have been, you, you can't, they were in my visions, but you can't really imagine them until they're here is the way Galen feels. I mean, I don't know how long you all have been following women's basketball, but when I would bring Cal teams here, there would be more Cal fans than USC fans. My first year here, they were 500 people. Uh, we had 7,000 people the other night. I think we've averaged almost 4,000 people for our home games. Um, it's been unbelievable. That is the type of thing that I has been better than imagined. I think the way the alumni of this program and the community have embraced us is really cool. I think the success that we've had and that Juju has had actually shines a light on how good Cheryl Miller was. Like we don't talk about it enough and her group, like the history of USC women's basketball isn't just the best players from this program. They are the best players in the history of the game. So I think those ancillary things that have happened are probably better than I would have expected. Um, and just the play is we're trying to check off one day at a time, 
and and do as much as we can this year because this is the present moment and we want to be invested in it. And those crowds should be potentially even bigger if you guys are able to host. But you've worked so hard to get this point, setting yourself up for that, the potential national seed, NCAA tournament hosting duties. What's your message to the team to make sure they don't let off their foot off the gas in the last couple of weeks? Um, you, you know, because you can see that finish line, or, and that's not even really the finish line, but you can see that checkpoint, and yeah. maybe you naturally you kind of let back a little bit and ease off. How do you, you know, push them to keep pushing, pushing forward? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question because this time of year, right, like everybody's a little bit physically fatigued and everybody's gone through a long season. But I mean, my gosh, right, like what a, what a privilege to be where we are and have so much left to play for. Um, so in the short term, all I need to, I mean, we lost our last game. We should be the hungriest team in this conference, right? We lost our last game and we're we're heading to a very difficult environment at Arizona. So there should be no foot off the gas in any way. I think we should be more focused than ever. And, and then I just think it's keeping them this balance of fresh um, and and as kind of loose as possible at the same time, understanding that your body of work over the course of time should get you to this point where we know what to do when every possession matters. We know what to do when it's the winner go home kind of game. So you're trying to gear up to to be playing our best basketball. And again, Sunday notwithstanding, I think we, we are. Um, but we'll use Sunday's kind of little blip to, to make sure that we're refocused and ready for this weekend. Out of all the teams in the league, Utah's sort of been that one bugaboo team. Do you see the two losses to them? Is that just because the Utes are a tough matchup? What can you do differently if you face a team like them in the NCAA tournament? For sure. I mean, I, I thought the game in Salt Lake, we it was probably our, our weakest just like effort of the year. Just we weren't. And even then it was a possession game in the third quarter, but I, I don't think we played with the type of pace and urgency you need to play with against the top team. Um, and here, I think it, it's a little more straightforward. Like I think the effort was there and I think the game plan was there. Uh, I think three things got us in my opinion. Um, the three point line, you know, they, they, they hit 12, an average of 12 threes in their wins and seven threes in their losses. They made 11 against us too many, flat out too many threes. Second thing is hard to overcome a six point first quarter. You know, we really, we really couldn't get it going offensively. Um, I think we watched some film on that yesterday. I think we'd be better. Um, and then I thought we we weren't, we didn't have enough attention to detail on the scout. I thought Deja Young coming off the bench for them and her 13 points really hurt us. I thought, you know, we, we can take some of those things away. So who knows who we're going to play in the Pac-12 tournament? I mean, literally it could be anyone at any time, but if we were to play them a third time, they are a tough matchup. They're really good. I thought we did a much better job on Peely this time, even though her numbers were still good. I mean, she's a really good player, but I, I do think there's some things where if a third time came, you know, we would be ready. And, um, and I, and I, I, you know, I would take on that matchup just like I would any other. One of the things that has has been a bugaboo for you guys has been some of those slow starts. Is that a product of you guys you know, the fact that you slow start, start slow and then kind of come on, is that a product of you guys making good adjustments as a coaching staff, or is that just something that you guys aren't doing really well to begin with? Um, what, what is, what's the, been the issue there? It's not been a consistent issue, but it's been one of the yeah. few issues that, that has popped up for you guys this season. Yeah. I mean, to me, I, sometimes I think is, is it the third quarter? Not as good as the beginning. I mean, I thought it both Oregon and Oregon state, we came out and, and ran them early. Um, Colorado, I thought we were we were fine early, and then Utah, we were a slow start. I, I think you, at this point we know each other so well, meaning our own team, we can figure it out. Sometimes it's, um, you know, if we don't start well, it's a matter of getting our players to understand where the where the gaps are and what we need to do. Um, you know, is it attack more? Is it take more time? We just try try to make real time adjustments. Um, but every team's going to come out with a game plan. 
We try to give them what I call the answers before the exam based on film. But now you're playing a team a second time. They might go to a different plan than they tried the first time. So it's getting our team as ready as possible, but understanding shots don't always fall. You know, initially, are we going to be on the boards? Are we going to, you know, take what the defense gives us? So so we're just, I think we're in a good place in terms of the players being able to stick with us, stick with me and adjust in real time. But obviously we want to start hot every game and sometimes we do. But if we don't, it can't be a limiting factor, you know, for the course of the game. Juju had the huge game against Colorado and then against Utah. She just didn't seem like herself and went to the locker room in the second quarter. Do you have any update on what happened with her? And do you expect that to be a lingering problem going forward? I mean, I don't have an update other than to say like she, she got an IV at halftime. I think it was, you know, just, just being drained. I mean, the kid, it's not just minutes, right? Like there's a lot of people in the country who play 38 minutes or 35 minutes. She just goes all out all the time on both ends of the floor um and is a physical specimen and so we're working kind of all the time to make sure that we have her ready you know whether that's nutrition and rest and um hydration and all that so she's fine i mean it's a constant thing of you know we have a great kind of medical and nutrition team and she's really a willing you know she operates like a pro like she gets her treatment she gets her recovery so it was just a matter of i think her fluids were a little low and we gave her an iv and she was okay um but obviously we we try and figure out each time the best way, you know, to manage her and get her enough food. I mean, she needs to keep, she needs to keep eating like small meals all the time. Um, but, but she's fine and, um, and, she, and she'll be okay going forward. You guys got that IV on, on tap for her with, with uh, the cramping that she's had at times this year. Yep. Um, I know she's been so phenomenal for you. Um, I want to ask kind of a two part question because I want a positive and negative here. Um, the, the negative is, her turnovers have been up recently. She said 29 in the last five games after she had like a three month stretch where it was basically three a game, which I think you will live happily with, with as much as the ball is in her hands. So is there something, is there any concern there? What do you need to do? Kind of get those numbers down. And then the positive side is where have you seen her continue to grow this season? I know, you know, we've talked about it throughout the season of, you know, what she does it, it being so phenomenal, but where is she still making strides that, that you're noticing maybe in the second half of the season or second time facing yeah. opponents that, uh, that are game planning against her? Yeah. I mean, uh, I think she continues to grow just in her, pace control and her ability to make reads on the fly and adjust to defenses. So, um, you know, she continues to lead us in assists. I, I do think she's making defenses pick their poison, right? Like she has a lot of trust in Padilla and Forbes and Bigby in the wings and, and in the corners when people load up on her or dropping passes to our, our bigs. Um, obviously she's a, she's an elite scorer and she's, she's going to hunt shots as she should. But then I think she's also making reads off of, okay, if I'm overplayed here, what are we, what are we doing? Or trying to take the game plan and use it against them. A lot of people send her left. Right. So then how am I adapting to that? Like to see her kind of use the film and still use her instincts and put those two, two things together um, uh, is impressive. I think she's growing on the defensive end. I mean, her blocks and her steals and her disruption, we use her a lot as a doubler, um, is as has really grown over time and her instincts have always been there, but now instincts combined with game plan knowledge has been really good. Um, and then just, I mean, to kind of be as physical as she is and go up and get rebounds and battle for boards and get hit and then go sink 18 out of 18 free throws, you know, and kind of go to this, like, you know, very poised place is, is phenomenal to me. And the contact continues to come and, and she's really handled that well. 
Um, the turnovers, I mean, we, we want to be more efficient as a team. I think when we don't turn it over, we score, like it's pretty clear. Um, and me, it's helping, it's help. it's me helping put her in situations where we can put her at the point of attack, but not in a place to get trapped or giving her a couple things in her pocket. If she is getting heated up, where do you go with the ball? A couple things when she's at the point, a couple things when she's at the wing. Um, and then just, you know, like any of our players, I'd say, understanding who's defending you, you know, when there's kind of hawks like Sherrod and Weta, we don't play with the ball, get off it and, and do some touch action, right? Or when, you know, when can we take a little more time or when can I get her in the post versus at the at the top of the uh, of the circle? So I'm trying to move her around a little bit, but um, but yeah, we're, we're trying to help her be as efficient as possible. It seems like this year's group has exceptional chemistry and there are so many new faces, which is so fascinating. Are they the closest team you've coached, one of the closest, and how has that developed? The, chem- the chemistry is really, really good. Um, you know, we we have no issues, and I, I, I say that, like, I don't say that lightly, right? Like, I mean, everyone on the team wants to play a lot, and everyone wants to perform at their best every night. I mean, we're, they're human, right? So I'm not saying there aren't kids at times who are like, oh, man, I didn't have a great game, or I wish this or that. But the the, the collective locked into – USC women's basketball to what we're doing as a group to winning, to supporting one another never wavers. And they genuinely enjoy each other. We have good people who I think like coming to, to work or coming to the you know practice or whatever, every single day. Um, it's one of the best chemistries, you know, certainly I've, I've ever had. It does remind me a little bit um, of my final four team at Cal where um, it's a long time together, you know, and just the more you can enjoy you know, the, the moments that we spend that aren't game game days, right? Like that, the film sessions, the learning, like they're pretty locked in and um, and then they enjoy the time, you know, when we're not doing something specific together, but we're just in each other's presence. So it's, that has really helped us, you know, it, it doesn't always happen that way. Um, and, and we work to invest in that and make sure that we're, you know, spending time on valuing each, each person as an individual. And I, I think it's grown very organically. Now, we may not get you before the NCAA tournament, so I want to go ahead and ask, what will it take for this group to go on a run? What What's the big key factor for you in your mind of, you know, this team putting it together at the right time to win six consecutive games, do something special, you know, yep. those type of things to, you know, to, to host would be phenomenal, and we'll see if yep. that does end up ha- happening. But what will it take for the group to play at, at its best in, in March? For sure. Well, I'll just, I'll speak to the hosting things. I know we have a lot of probably people on your podcast who are relatively new women's basketball fans. So in women's basketball, the top four seeds in each region, the top 16 teams in the country get to host. And that's because in women's basketball, there are more fans when there is a home team, right? Like it's, we're still at a point and we're getting there, but if we put all the games at a neutral site, there may not be fans. So if we take care of business this weekend, you know, again, we got work to do in front of us. I think we've set ourselves up to be a host, like let's pack Galen. Imagine having two games in our building to go to the sweet 16. Like we need to make that a home court advantage. So if that's the case, we hope everyone comes out, but for the NCAA tournament, you know, a couple of things. I think the PAC 12 has tested us that you have to be ready for any style of play. You know, you have to be ready to play a five out team one night and then maybe a pressing team the second night or a zone team one day and a team that's going to, you know, slow, take the air out of the ball the next night. We faced it all in the PAC 12. So at that point, you have to be so secure in who you are, who we are, right? That, you you know, you need the things that we do well. Do we play well fast in transition? Do we lock up on defense? You know, uh, we need to take care of the ball. Like you have to have the things that that you can count on night in and night out and then game plan adjust. And I do think that's where the Pac-12 sets you up for having faced any number of things. Um, 
you know, I think we'll take, you know, the time we've almost like two weeks in between the end of the Pac-12 tournament and the first game, the NCAA tournament to both get rest and to add some things and make sure we're tweaking things in as sharp as we can be. Uh, you need great guard play in the NCAA tournament. You usually go as your guards, guards go. And at the same time, I think we are a team that is at our best when we've got an inside outside presence. Um, so I think tapping into all of that and, and then just getting a little magic on, on our side, right? I think, you know, it seems right now like it's South Carolina has been the best team in the country. And then there's been about 15 other teams that are kind of in that mix. And why not us, right? If we're clicking on all cylinders and we get, you know, favorable matchups and we, and we, we know we can play with anyone and beat anyone. And I'll also have the humility to know it can end at any time. So I want to get us ready for those things, but I think we're second most net top 25 wins in the country. I don't know. I haven't looked at it recently, but we know we face the best competition. We just got to be ready, you know, going into, into March madness to, to be at our best, no matter who the opponent is. Well, we look forward to seeing how this group uh, can make a run and what it looks like. And we'll be following along the whole way. Lindsay, thanks so much for taking the time to join us on the USC triple double podcast. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. With that, we'll jump into our break and then Connor and I will return and take a little deeper look at last week's action for the USC men and women. And we'll also take a look forward at the upcoming matchups for the next week with the women in Troy finishing out their regular season in the desert and the men uh, playing at home as well. So we'll jump to that in just a second. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back from the break. Make sure you're checking out our sponsors. Also, please like, subscribe, and review the podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. You know we love those five-star reviews. Also, if you have any questions, comments, requests, you can send them in at podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you put triple-double or the basketball pod in the headline to make sure it gets directed at us. Got a couple emails for the Dato Download podcast. Come on, where's the triple-double love at? Come on, guys. We want to see that as well. Um, you know, We got a chance to talk with Lindsay Gottlieb. Always so much fun. She's so insightful with everything she says. What stood out to you, Connor? Well, I think managing a star player really stood out to me and how Juju, she has those great first games when they play the Friday night and then the Sunday. And then it was interesting to hear that when she went to the locker room, it was just she was low on fluids and she needed an IV and – talking about how she's so good in that first game and then just a little bit tired, especially at the end of the season in that second game, it's certainly bared out that way. Just going back a few weeks. I mean, last week it great against Colorado and then against Utah, a little bit slow week before great against Oregon and then against Oregon state a little slow. So I think figuring out exactly what needs to happen to make sure she has more gas in the tank for those Sunday games, especially when now 
It is getting close to the postseason when USC is going to play games in quick succession. I think that's probably the key to going on a deep run. They're going to need Juju Watkins to be 100% and just ready to go in those second games after a, a quick turnaround. And I'm glad the team's on it and thinking about it. And I'm excited to see the solutions that they try to take. Yeah, we'll be interesting when they get to the Pac-12 tournament next week um, just because there are no off days. So that's why it's so important for them to take care of business this week to make sure they guarantee themselves the bye uh, so they get that the Wednesday off. And then, you know, if you can get into the top two, you know, maybe you don't have to face one of the tough one of the top six teams early in the in the tournament. And, you know, that first game that you have. So, you know, the, the, the number two seed plays the winner of the 6-11 game. So that's the, the or excuse me the the number three does so you avoid playing the the six seed if you get into the top two seed so I think that's really big for USC is if they can get a into that top two and if they take care of business they will they'll have the tiebreakers then they can avoid whether it be Utah or whether it be you know whoever it is that, that slides down to that six spot by the end of, of this week. Um, so that's really big for them. That's what they're playing for this week. And it's going to be a tough, tough week, uh, you know, facing off against Arizona, a team that's playing really well right now and uh, just came off a big win over uh, Stanford. So, you know, got to take care of business. Playing on the road is always difficult. But if they do, it sets them up nicely. And then we'll see how do you kind of figure out the minutes for Juju on the potential of playing Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, and, you know, that's the what they're hoping for, to play three days in a row. Uh, and if they do, then how you manage those minutes when they haven't gotten a ton of production out of their bench. Can't, do you play people more minutes? Do you not? I, we'll have to see. We'll discuss that next week, though, on the Triple Double Podcast before the Pac-12 tournament gets, set, gets started for the women of Troy. Um, let's move into our Triple Double. Let's start with the women since we're talking about them. What are your three positives coming away from this weekend where they won against Colorado in a thrilling game, outstanding basketball back and forth, you know, just a ton of shot making. And then the Utah game, not exactly the same thing, especially early that first quarter, what was like 12 or 14 to six USC struggling to make anything. And it seemed like USC kept getting close and they eventually tied it up. I think it was early in the fourth quarter, if I remember correctly, but it just felt like they couldn't get over the hump. They were just constantly felt like they were right behind Utah and could never get there. Even when they tied it, as soon as they tied it, I think Utah hit three straight threes um, on like a 9-2 run or something like that. So, you know, USC was fighting uphill the entire game and could never get over the hump. What are your three positives, though, that you take away from this weekend? My first, the three-point shooting against Colorado, 13 of 19. You're going to win a lot of games when you're shooting that well from deep. Juju was 4 of 7. Caleb Padilla was four or five. Mackenzie Forbes was five or six. If you got a three-headed monster like that, everyone's knocking down their threes. That is huge. Of course, it dried up a little bit against Utah, but against Colorado, that was their best shooting performance in the Pac-12 season so far. That was awesome to see. I guess maybe Oregon was better, but against a good team. And I value playing better against a good team more so than playing against a bad one. Up, my second one, Caitlin Davis. Didn't miss a field goal all weekend. Amazing. And... Lindsay Gottlieb talked about how important she's been. It's true. I, I think she's so important to what USC does. And when she fouled out against Utah, that certainly hurt their chances of coming back. A couple of those fouls, I felt like she maybe could have done a, a better job to avoid them, especially the fifth one committing a foul at half court. That was a mistake by her. But I, I think the positives with her so, so greatly outweigh the negatives. And then the last thing, it's a big picture one. The Colorado win, that means USC equals the win total from last year at 21. And if they win 
another game, they'll get to 22, which is the most since 2013, 2014. And then if they win two more, I didn't go back far enough to see when they've won 23 has been. So they're, they're coming close to having a season that they've haven't had in a long, long time. And I think we need to remember that as they head into the postseason. It's a special, special group and they have a special opportunity. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the three point shooting is on my list as well, but I'm gonna save that for last because I'm booking into it with my negative because the free three point shooting was terrible against Utah. <laughs> uh, their free throw shooting though. How about the free throw shooting in that Colorado game? What was it? 24 of 25 Juju, obviously making all hers 18, to 18, not great against Utah only 10 of 15 Juju missed three, uh, which is the most she's missed in a long time. So that kind of stood out. But I thought just overall, if you make, you know, out of 40 free throws, if you make 34 of them, that's pretty good, pretty good quality uh, run right there, getting up above 80% uh, for the weekend. So free throw shooting has been something that's really been been notable for them. Obviously, Juju gets fouled a lot, but if everyone else is taking care of their business as well, you're going to get, with Juju on your team, you're going to get teams into the bonus. So then you need to, even if you're not Juju, if you're someone else, you got to knock down your free throws when you get an opportunity to. So I thought that one was big. Caitlin Davis, it's, her emergence has been outstanding. Um, you know, against Oregon State last week, she went two of five. She's only missed two other shots the last basically three weeks, four weeks, actually. <laughs> Going back, uh, I just uh, lost the the box that I had it in. She's shooting 83% since February 4th. So in seven games, she's shooting 83%. She's missed four or five shots during that time. In seven nice. games, she's missed five shots. That's ridiculous. Now, she's only averaging nine points a game, not like she's averaging 35 or anything, but she's super efficient. When she gets the ball, she knows what to do with it. She knows what her strengths are. And she knows, okay, if I have an open free throw line extended jumper, I can take that. And she's made those. Oh, they get, I get the ball in the middle of the lane. I can attack and I can use a Euro step. And I can, you know, I can, I'm a little bit quicker than these other bigs. And she's able to use that. And she's also physical enough. If anyone smaller is guarding her, she just bulls through them and scores. So she has been so good with choosing her spots. Because you're not throwing the ball into her on the block or anything. She's just in the flow of the game. She gets it and she sees an opening. She attacks. And it, it's been spectacular to watch for her. Um, you know, the fact that she was on the bench for a long time. She had the knee injury early in the season and she came back. I think she was ill for a little while and didn't really do much offensively. And then over the seven game stretch, she scored eight points in six of the seven games, at least eight points. So, you know, that's that third score we've been looking for for USC. And, that, and she's been consistent with it, and that's what's been really impressive. And then when you get Caleb Padilla going as well, now you got a four score. So you got, you know, Caleb Padilla hitting four threes, and she got 12 points. And if, uh, it, and if KD can make, you know, four buckets and give you eight points, that's 20 points that was kind of a big mystery point earlier in the season when Juju's really going well, McKenzie's going well, and no one else was really doing anything. So I think that that quartet of players has really shown they can carry the load, and it's been a big thing for KD's emergency uh, emergence excuse me, to really <laughs> impact uh, the way that they, they can play on both ends of the court. And, you know, Lindsay talked about that with her ability to switch on defense and her ability to guard two through five. She's just – a, a such a key player that allows you to do so much more as a coach. So uh, she's 
been fantastic the last, like I said, seven games, but she was extraordinary this, these past, this past week with the 22 points total 18 or 13 rebounds. Uh, She had four assists with, you know, with, she had no turnovers against Utah, three assists in that game. So she was really good the entire time. And then my last one was the three point shooting against Colorado. You shoot 68% from three, you're going to win most games. The fact that it was only a six point win is kind of crazy when you shoot that well, but that's also USC kind of letting Colorado back in late, not scoring a field goal in the last four and a half minutes, basically. But that takes me to my negative. The three-point shooting versus Colorado will not get it done in most games. They went four of 20 in that game, only 20%. And, you know, that's an issue for them that they've got to set, got to figure out is the second game of the, the weekend. All right, legs are a little bit tired. Can you make your three-point shots, you know, whether it's Juju or anyone else, you know, you got to be able to knock down some shots to be able to beat quality teams. And you got to start thinking about it now. Only one week left in the Pac-12 play. So you got to start thinking about two weeks uh, or, you know, a couple weeks in advance, NCAA tournament, second game of the weekend. You know, the first weekend you can host at home, have an opportunity to win your way into the the Sweet 16. Then Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, you're going to play a tough opponent. But you got to be able to make some shots if you make it that far. Uh, if you want to, you know, earn your earn your stripes and earn your opportunity to go to the Final Four, all those things will come down to to making some shots and being good on the second game of a of a weekend. So we'll see if they can do that. My other negative was the first quarter. You know, the first quarter woes came back to hit them. Hadn't happened in a little while, but that's something that has been a little bit of an issue. And we talked about it with Lindsey. Uh, so you know, but I, I think that's something that just got to come out with some spark and, you know, figure out what the defense is doing against you and you'll be able to find the open person and all that type of stuff early so that you don't get in that hole. Because, again, like I said, that Utah game, it just felt like they were chasing the entire time, just couldn't quite get over the hump. And that all stemmed from that six-point first quarter. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. For me, first down, the defense, it dropped a little bit this past weekend, and Colorado and Utah are good offensive teams, but USC is giving up – an average of 39% shooting from the field to their opponents this year. And Colorado shot 57% and Utah was just under 49%. The defense that's been the calling card of this team all year long. And that's how they've been able to overcome some games when Juju has a big game, but maybe Mackenzie Forbes doesn't play as well, or Caleb Padilla doesn't hit some shots. They've been in these games because of their defense. And I didn't love those shooting numbers just because I think defensively that's, where they're going to win these games in in the bigger moments and uh, just didn't get it done there for, for the most part, Colorado, they just kept hitting shots and, and Utah, their uh, players outside of Alyssa Peely, their role players did, did really well, which was a surprise. And then my other one, it, it's not a big concern, but it's just trending towards being a concern. The decision-making with Juju Watkins, 10 turnovers against Colorado. She had a flagrant against the Colorado guard, Sherrod, who was all up in her business that I don't, think was intentional but she did kind of flail an arm at her and we don't have to debate if that was intentional or not but that, I didn't think that was the greatest decision regardless of if she meant to do it or not and then she just has some turnovers where she gets a rebound and then she wants to push 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 and she's really talented but against these better teams when USC doesn't have the numbers they've led to some turnovers that happened against Colorado in the third quarter in the fourth quarter she had a foul that put Colorado to the line which was the best case scenario for them so I know she's fantastic and she's going to be the reason USC goes on a deep run or the reason they don't, 
I think right now we're seeing her make some decisions where the coaching staff, they'll show her the tape. She'll make changes. She'll adjust, but that's something I've noticed with her. There've been times where she hasn't made the smart basketball play, which we haven't had too many opportunities to say that this season. I mean, putting an elbow into Sherrod is probably not the smartest as far as the outcome, (laughs) but when you have a defender that's all up in your grill all the time, it, it might be the best move because be effective, yeah. it sets the, the, you know, sets the uh, tone. Like you're not going to get up in here and I'll, I'll take this foul and I don't care. I don't think she did it on purpose watching it. Uh, you know, when it happened, just incidental contact. But I think that sends a message as well. Like don't try to get all of my cookies right now. Uh, Cause <laughs> if you do, you're going to get sent back with uh, you know, a bow to the face or whatnot. Um, and, Easily could have been called the other way. Could have been the cylinder call, uh, you know, where the defender's too far up because now they go any elbow to the face, uh, head or neck area, they take it to replay and they check it um, and could have easily went the other way, in my opinion. If you're in that cylinder, then you don't get that call. Um, and I thought it was pretty close. But, yeah, you know, th- I think that she's – there's times when she can do a little bit less there's, you know, there's always times she could do a little bit more too because of how talented she is. So again, we're nitpicking because yeah. of how good she is. Uh, you do not, you never want to see double digits in a turnover category though. So that one was definitely stood out. Now I, I didn't get to see all this game straight through. I watched bits and pieces of it while I was, uh, you know, while I was covering a baseball game in Santa Clara and some of the turnovers were, you know, there was an offensive foul, I think, in there, and those end up being like a couple of them may have been on someone else, not catching the ball type of thing. So I don't know if all 10 turnovers are just like, that's a terrible, what are you doing type of thing there, but the numbers do add up there. And it, it definitely, you know, as I mentioned with Lindsay, like she's had 29 turnovers the last five games. So that's almost six per game. Whereas the three months prior, she was averaging three per game. And she was maxing out at six, whereas recently she's had two games with seven, one game with 10. So, you know, that is a definitely a concern. It's like you got to take care of the basketball, especially this time of year coming up. And so they, you know, Pac-12 definitely trains you for what you're going to face in the NCAA tournament with all the good teams they face. But that's something that's going to be an extra note notation as you go into the NCAA tournament. Is like if you don't take care of the basketball, that's how you can get upset. So, you know, another thing for her – to build on continue as she continues to get better and better as the season progresses. How about on the men's side? What's your triple double? Let's start with the positive. What do you got for three up? Boogie got to start with him. Nine of 18 from the floor, 24 points. I think we've said it all along. If USC does anything in the PAC 12 tournament and beyond, it's going to need to start with Boogie Ellis. So the fact that he had the big game against Colorado, and even though they didn't win, that was a sign that he's back and to back that up, in a rivalry win against UCLA, I thought was big. My second up, Kobe Johnson, he hit a dagger three, 10 points, four steals, three rebounds. There have been times his offensive production has just not been even close to what it was a year ago this season, and there are a bunch of reasons for that due to asking him to take on a bigger workload and, and all that, but he just looked more like himself in this game, and Andy Enfield said afterwards he hasn't made those big threes for us at times this season, so it was good to see him hit that, and I agree. He just looks more confident. He has not looked very confident at times this season, and the whole team really hasn't throughout that big losing streak, so that was great to see. And then my last up, it was a team effort. You got the points from Boogie. You got a little bit of everything from Kobe Johnson, 11 points from Isaiah Collier, nine points from DJ Rodman. I thought 
Vince Iwachuku, he only scored four points, but he gave USC really good minutes off the bench. Josh Morgan was in foul trouble, didn't play a ton. It wasn't just like, okay, Boogie Ellis scores, and then we got to hang on for dear life because no one can do anything. You got some nice efforts from a, a wide variety of players. I thought Bronny had some nice minutes as well, even though a relatively quiet stat line for him. A good team win, and that's just what the doctor ordered for this men's team right now. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, well, my first up is you know looking at what they did right after halftime. Going into halftime, you blow what was it a fifteen point lead in the first half, basically. Um, so you are the fourteen point lead is what it was after a three pointer, and you score one free throw the rest of the way. What did they finish the half on? I think it was fifteen to one is what yep. UCLA finished on, which is when I started watching. I, I feel like I'm been becoming the curse if I don't start watching a game before it starts. I turn it on and USC's winning, and I'm like, oh okay. Um, I was at in Sacramento at a baseball game, and I have it on while I'm shooting photos. And I'm like, oh, here it comes. Here comes that, you know, the end of half. How many points are they going to give away from this lead? And it's like, oh, all of them. Okay, never mind. Uh, so, but to bounce back after halftime, I thought that was huge for them. They go on a 16 to three run to open the second half. So they back up double digits again. So basically have wiped out all the work that UCLA did to get back in the game. And then from there, can you carry it through the rest of the game? And they were able to do that. And like you said, Kobe Johnson, that big dagger three was huge in that. Uh, you know, I mentioned Boogie in, in mine as well. Boogie's back. You know, we've talked about it. He has to score for them. That's the way this, this team was constructed for him to be a scorer, for Isaiah Carter to be a facilitator, for Kobe Johnson to be a little bit of do everything and to knock down an open three. We talked about that last week. That's what he's got to do. And he did it this game. And now you see the result of it. So, you know, when, when they get out and they create some turnovers, they're really good. You know, Kobe, Kobe had a couple of nice, you know, uh, creations of turnovers i won't say they're necessarily steals they may have ended up in somebody else's hands but they end coming back to him and him getting fast break buckets and stuff like that i thought that they played a physical game with the refs letting it be physical because though some of those plays where kobe johnson's reaching in we've seen those be called fouls plenty of times in the in the pac-12 this season and then now he's in foul trouble and it's completely different but if you feel out the game and you see that they're letting you be physical and you attack that way. I thought they did a really good job with that. And I think that helped them when they were neutralizing. My other positive was neutralizing a Dembona because he creates so much energy for them. And Andy Enfield mentioned this after the game is that by keeping him off the offensive glass, they were able to neutralize his energy because he provides such a big energy boost for UCLA, who doesn't have great half court offense. But if you can get an offensive rebound and throw it back down for a big slam, you can still energize the the crowd. Uh, you know, Dylan Andrews was terrible in this game, and that was probably the biggest difference in the entire game. But by not letting Adembona get going, you kept the energy, the crowd out of it. I thought, and then you know, I think Dylan Andrews is the type of player that feeds off the crowd. From watching him in high school, watching him you know earlier this season, when the crowd gets going, he seems to take his, his step forward. So I think that all that kind of played together to to keeping down UCLA's offense. I agree with all of that. And my down got to start. Unfortunately, it's tough. He's a freshman, but I just felt like Arrington Page looked a little bit out of place in this game. He had that shot clock violation when UCLA knocked the ball out of bounds. There was three seconds on the shot clock. Everyone in the arena, everyone on the court, except for him, knows that you got to get up a shot and he dribbles it out. I just felt like he seemed out of place in this game. The rest of the USC players were, were trying to do one thing and he was maybe doing something else. That That's just... My thoughts there. And I mean, he did give him some good minutes. He had some free throws. 
I, I didn't love what I, what I saw from him overall. And then my other down, I, I just don't buy this being a turnaround for, for USC. UCLA is terrible on offense. USC still missed 10 free throws, 10 to 20 from the line. They allowed that 15 to one run at the end of the half. It's a nice job getting a road win. I don't even really consider it a road win to be totally honest, but it, it, it's nice to get off the schneid and, and, and beat a real team on the road. I just think UCLA is so limited. Their offense is so bad and, I think the better team would have beaten USC. It's nice that they got the win. Boogie played really well, but I thought that game said a lot more about UCLA than it did about USC. Hey, I will take USC holding any opponent to 33%. Even if it's UCLA and they don't score well, and a big part of that is Dylan Andrews. If he goes 0 for 7, then that's going to really hurt their percentages. But I thought the game plan was good. I thought they took care of business. And after that terrible run to end the first half, which continues to be an issue, um, I, I know you've asked Andy Infield about this, and he's been like, well, we've had runs at this time. and runs." <laughs> what about right before halftime when I you seem to every single game have an issue? Like, <laughs> that, he doesn't want to answer that question, I guess. But the free no, throw shooting was my negative. Of course, the 10 of 20 is terrible. You could have walked away from this game a lot sooner. Um, gotten the Could have gotten your walk-ons in and Poly Pavilion. Like th- Those are the type of things that you – that, hey, in, tw- in 20 years won't matter to anyone but the walk-on. But that's an opportunity to play in Poly <laughs> Pavilion. Like, those guys definitely want that experience. So make a couple free throws so that you help your walk-ons out. That's what I always say as someone who was a bench warmer at times. So uh, <laughs> that uh, nearly letting UCLA come back is my other negative in the in the first half. But like I said, I, I like the way they responded. So that was a positive of it. You don't think they can build off of it. I think they can build off this team, this game because – you got Boogie head, head in the right direction. He's scoring for them. Now, if Isaiah Collier does a little bit more than he necessarily did in this game, and if Kobe Johnson seems to be playing his role much better, I like where they're at right now much more than I have at other times this season. Um, so do I think they're going to make the run in the Pac-12 tournament? No, I still don't. But I feel more comfortable, and I feel I would be less shocked now if that happens because of the way that they're playing recently. Now, to get a little bit more out of the bigs, obviously, is always – a question for him, but uh, let's talk about Isaiah Collier. Let's go to our Juze section. Ju for Juju Watkins and Zay for Isaiah Collier. What stood out to you? Uh, whether you, what are you hearing? What are you seeing from Isaiah Collier this week? Well, just with Isaiah Collier, I felt like analyzing his game a little bit more. He, he was solid, and the turnovers they were a little high in this game. He wasn't the most efficient, but. I thought it was important for him to be the better point guard against UCLA. And I don't want to turn this into a Dylan Andrews slander hour, but he just was bad in this game. And he had sort of taken that step forward. Ben Bolt of the LA times wrote a great profile on him. It looked like things were clicking for him and he was just out of sync in that one. And I think when you have the number one freshman in the country, the, the best point guard in that recruiting class, you, you're going to want him to be the best point guard on the floor. And against UCLA, I felt like Isaiah Collier, even though he had somewhat of a quiet game, he was, and that was big for the Trojans. Yeah, he has a 5-2 to two assist turnover ratio since returning from his injury. That's a little bit down from last week. He, only, he had four assists and three turnovers in this game, but he also had three steals, three rebounds. He did shoot great from the field, did have one three-pointer that he made from pretty deep, too, so showing some confidence in the, the three-point shot, even though he only was only ended up being one or four. Um, but uh, I want to talk about outside of the what we saw on the court. 
Uh, there was a quote that he had, uh, I think it was with CBS, actually, uh, or the mothership here, uh, where he was talked about, maybe it was with Yahoo, I don't remember off the top of my head, but he said, you know, he was asked what we, when he came back from his injury, what did he want to show to NBA scouts? And he says, I'm just hoping to show that we can win, that I can win. I think that shows so much about who he is, that not, I need to show that I can play this defense, or I can do this, it's that. I want to come back and I'm a point guard. I'm the leader. I need to be be able to show that we can win some games. And they they've won a couple more games when he's been back than when he was gone for sure. And then also NIL is an interesting thing, right? So he has done some power aid spots previously this season. Well, he's in a power aid commercial that just got uh, uh unveiled yesterday or a couple of days ago. It says March doesn't start in March. And boy, is that true, because USC is not going to be doing much in March because of everything that happened before March. Unless they go on a run, and then that commercial is going to be completely false because they're going to be like, March only starts in March for this team. But I thought it was really interesting that you go into it, you get a, you know, you're working with Powerade and a, a, a company that's from Atlanta, uh, part of the Coke, Coca-Cola. So Atlanta boy doing a spot and it's like this is march doesn't start in march it's like yeah we know we know over here we've seen what has happened the last four months of the season that has led to usc not being in contention to go to march unless they put something miraculous together uh here at the end of the pac-12 tournament time tough break for for powerade good for isaiah for getting some money but i mean i feel like powerade felt like we did if you would like, I would have bet my life savings that USC would make the the tournament. I don't know about winning the Pac-12 or winning the Pac-12 tournament, but just like yes or no, are they in. I'm glad I don't feel comfortable gambling that much because if you had <laughs> offered me that proposition, I oh, of course, of course they're making it. So yeah, I, sometimes uh, with the NIL stuff, if you bet on a kid and I mean he's playing fine, but the team doesn't and he doesn't have those March moments because of the team, then it's a tough break. But I guess that's just the world we live in. Let's uh we'll we'll go come back to the Jew section of our juice. Uh let's go to Bronny, our stunt like my daddy, because this is about off the court as well. He didn't do much in the USC game. He had 14 minutes, two points on one-on-one shooting, made his only shot, turnaround jumper in the middle of the lane, looked really nice. He needs to be more assertive. That's something that keeps being thrown out. Like he has opportunities where um I, someone was I can't remember who was I was listening to something, and they're like, he's playing hot potato with, with his teammates where he'll get a pass and he just like immediately throws it back to him. And I think that's a pretty good analogy there at times with him where you want him to attack a little bit more. He had two assists, no turnovers, two rebounds. You know, USC was plus eight, which is the second best on the team during his 14 minutes. So he played well, just not, you know, not a ton of production and not necessarily a ton of minutes in that one because Isaiah, Kobe, and Boogie Ellis were going to be in the game and they all played at least 32 minutes with Boogie playing 37. But the more important thing and the more notable thing is what is being said about him because we know Bronny James is a mute when it comes to the media. So 24-7 Sports National Reporter Adam Finkelstein said he believes that Bronny will play for the Lakers next year. And I know that's our 24-7 brethren, but I don't think that's the case. Um, so, And then there's other things. Let's go ahead and mention those two. LeBron got mad at a tweet about ESPN removing Bronny from their 2024 mock draft. And then he quickly deleted those tweets. So what the tweet said is, I don't know if you saw saw them uh, before they got deleted, Connor, but can y'all please just let the kid be a kid and enjoy college basketball? The work and results will ultimately do the talking no matter what he decides to do. If y'all don't know, he doesn't care what a mock draft says. He just works in all capital letters. 
earned, not given exclamation point. And then he replied to that. And to all the other kids out there striving to be great, just keep your head down blinders on and keep grinding. These mock drafts don't matter one bit. I promise you only the work matters. Let's talk real basketball people. And he capitalized real basketball and people. So I don't know if he meant you want to talk about people that are real. Like, or, or, <laughs> no, he don't want to speak about space jam ever again. I don't know exactly. Uh, but he deleted those tweets. And then to follow up on that, ESPN's Jonathan Gavoni, who's the person who did the mock draft and moved him. They, he moved him from 2024 into his 2025 mock draft. And he explained it. Um, he said that he loves Bronny's game. And he actually says he thinks he'll be a completely different guy and the potential lottery pick if he comes back for his sophomore season. So I thought that was really interesting. But he basically said he's not the same. You know, he's missed four months with a heart issue. You know, he's not he's not performed at a one and done pace, which we can all pretty much agree with. The big question is the whole thing with his dad. So do you think that Adam Finkelstein is going to be correct that Bronny's going to be playing for the Lakers next year, or do you think it's more likely that he's going to be in the 2025 draft as ESPN's Jonathan Gavoni has pushed him in his mock draft? I have no inside information, but I can tell you that I think it makes a lot more sense for him to be in the 2025 draft than the 2024 draft. And I agree with Stephen A. Smith. It all goes back to LeBron tweeting about Bronny could, you know, he's better than half these guys in the NBA right now. He, he could help us on the Lakers right now. It's like, you can't put that into the universe because that's just not fair to your son. And I'm sure if we could get LeBron off the record, he'd say he regretted tweeting that because that just puts Bronny in such an uncomfortable position where if he does have some ups and downs, like every college freshman would, the second he has some downs, well, LeBron said he could be in the NBA right now. He's not that good. Blah, blah, and it just starts everything. So if it was up to me and I was LeBron James, I'd say, son, I think you should stay in college because you missed so much time with the heart. I like what I've seen from you in your limited minutes. And I think you really have a chance to be special. You just need to play more basketball. That's what I've said on the show a million times. He just needs more reps because sometimes it looks really good. And then other times at the end of the Colorado game, he makes a defensive mistake and the Buffaloes tie the game and it goes to overtime. I think with more reps, he'd just be in such a better position and wouldn't be making some of those mistakes. Um, and then I think if he does go to the NBA draft, then we can criticize LeBron because I don't think Bronny's ready. And LeBron says it's Bronny's decision. And of course it is, but I think LeBron factors into it. How could he not? So uh, what happens, I think if he goes, we'll say, okay, LeBron probably was pushing to go. And if he stays, I'm sure Bronny was adamant that he feels like he needs to stay. And I hope LeBron respects that. Uh, it's fascinating. I wonder what their dinner table conversations are like. Is it just this every night? <laughs> I, I think, uh, you know, LeBron, what is said at the cookout doesn't need to be tweeted, basically. Yeah, exactly. Like you could say at the cookout, man, my boy could be out there playing right now. Doesn't necessarily mean you need to have your phone, pick it up and tweet. You know, especially if we're drinking at the cookout. Everything that's said at the cookout <laughs> does not be, need to go on Twitter. Trust me. Trust me. There's been some deleted tweets um, from many accounts over the years have been like, oh, that shouldn't have happened. You know, leave that at the cookout. So um, I think that I think that you know, from talking with people, uh, talking with people around the James Camp in the James Camp, um, I don't think this is going to happen. I know I really respect Adam and the work he does on our national side, but he says that basically LeBron Le, LeBron said this, and there's been no pushback, but. Behind closed doors, it sounds like LeBron has backed off 
of being as adamant about it. You know, maybe a year ago he was like, oh, this is going to happen. This is going to, and he's kind of planning things out. And I feel like, especially with the cardiac arrest issue and, you know, having to have the heart surgery and all that, I think that's really pushed the timetable back. I think LeBron realizes that because you know, we expected Bronny to be able to come in and be a, an immediate contributor. And when you don't play for four months, like that sets you back so much. And as you said, it just all comes down to reps. Like, and the unfortunate part is, like you kind of wish his name was John Smith instead of LeBron James Jr. at this point because of what he needs to do. One, because of all this attention, right? You know, he doesn't deserve all this attention, good or bad. Um, you know, all the people hating on him because of his dad and what his dad has said doesn't deserve that. But also he needs those reps. So he needs to be in the Drew League. He needs to be there the entire summer. He needs to be playing every pickup game he can. And that's so much more difficult when, all right, you got to have security for this. And like, oh, Bronny's going to play. Now people are out the door. Now there's all this extra pressure where, you know, when Jordan McLaughlin went or Benny Boatwright or Shemezi Metu went, they were able to get 30 minutes, 35 minutes or whatever in these games and just learn. And they're playing with grown men at times and they're learning from them. And, hey, Nick Young shows up and plays with you or LeBron shows up and plays with Boogie. And you learn from somebody. Whereas Bronny, it's like he goes to the Drew League, it's going to be spotlight. People are going to have their phones out, taping every single thing. So, like, now, like, okay, well, that's probably the best play you can get in the summer unless dad just arranges a bunch of stuff. Like, if dad just arranges, like, all right, everybody come to my house. We're going to play pickup games. That that would probably be the, the winning recipe, I think, if I'm LeBron. Like, that's because he needs the best competition he can and just get more and more and more reps. And there's just going to be such a spotlight on him. He's not going to be able to make mistakes. Oh, Bronny had six turnovers in a, in a Drew League game. So? So what? Like, but that's going to be a headline. And, like, he doesn't deserve that. He needs to be able to go play and grow. And that's so, such a hard thing to do when he is LeBron's son. But we'll see how it all progresses and how it all plays out. But I, I thought it was really interesting that there was such a dichotomy in the the – what is being said about him and what we're hearing behind the, the scenes, all that type of stuff. So we'll see what ends up happening. I don't think it will happen. I don't think it will leave. Now, what's Andy Enfield's situation? That could play into it. Does he come if he comes back to college, does he come back to USC? Or does LeBron say, I want him to go play for someone? Who knows? But I think ultimately he will be back in college next year. That is my prediction as of right now. Whew, to get all that out of the way. <laughs> great, great point on the on the Drew League stuff, though, because you're right. He can't. I, if I was him, I wouldn't show up there. It's not worth it. If I make a mistake, then I have to look at this article, and I'm sure he doesn't read it, but you know what I mean? It, it, a mistake for him in public can do a lot more damage because the spotlight's so bright. He's got to do those UCLA runs. I don't know if they'd have him because he's at USC, but those offseason UCLA runs where all the pros come back and they play in Westwood, that would really be beneficial for him, and maybe LeBron sets up something like that at, at his house like you mentioned. But, yeah, you're right, Shotgun. He needs all these reps. The Drew League, it's too public. Maybe something – at LeBron's house, or I don't know, could he get into those UCLA is, runs? I, instead I of those UCLA runs, let's get some Galen Center runs. Yeah, let them t- tell him to let us come in and watch. We'll, <laughs> we'll keep tabs, see how he's doing, <laughs> and then we'll we'll write the negative headline. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> let's jump forward. Let's see where do the Trojans stand right now. Where are the women of Troy? Where are the men? Uh, you know, the men's season is lost outside of the Pac-12 tournament. But is there any? What are we what are we looking at right now? Where are they at? What's the chance of them making a run in the Pac-12 tournament? Here's usually where I have a typo on the Google Doc, so I hope I don't. Uh the women number seven in the AP poll in the net, they're eleventh. 
that first committee reveal from a couple weeks ago, they were number nine team. So that puts them in a number three seed. I saw our colleague Ahmad wrote that ESPN has them as a two seed right now. So they're on that two and three line. It looks like still in the PAC 12, they're 11 and five tied for second with Oregon state and UCLA, even though they lost to Utah to get swept by the Utah gun. What a great spot they're in. And Lindsey Gottlieb talked about the team being ahead of schedule. And that's sort of how I see it as well. I didn't expect them to be this good. Yeah. And the question for me is, all right, well, if they win five games straight, to finish out the regular season in the Pac-12 tournament, can they get up to a one seed? I, I you know, I think the Pac-12 champion will end up being a one seed. Um, in that scenario, I, th- I think absolutely. That's a so, big ask, but I, I think so. And it depends on who they beat along the way. But if like they beat Stanford again, like two wins over Stanford, a win over another one one seed in Ohio State, um, like the the wins over Oregon State, two wins over them. Went over Colorado, went over UCLA. Like their wins are ridiculous. So if they find a way to win the Pac-12 tournament, I think they're a number one seed right now. And you know the the latest bracketology had Stanford as a one seed, South Carolina, Ohio State, and Texas as the other one seeds in the bracket. Um, so you know the, the interesting thing will be there are two separate regional sites for the Sweet 16. There's Portland and there's Albany. As of right now. USC is the two seed in one of the Portland regionals. So they would host at home. If if this were to play out, they would host at home uh, at the Galen center for the first two rounds. So, and they would, the sweet 16 would then be played in Portland. So you stay on the West coast Stanford's in the other Portland regional, but then, uh, and Colorado's in the same regional as USC, but all the other West coast, I mean, all the other PAC 12 teams would be shipped over to, to Albany. So if you do that, if you're a top two seed and you stay on the West coast, that gives you that much better of a chance. Cause you know, potentially if, if all the seedings were to play out, you know, chalk in this bracket, uh, they would play Texas as the number one seed. So you're playing Texas in Portland. You have a much better chance of getting USC alumni in the, Pacific Northwest to come out to that game, you know, going against Texas. So I, I think that's really big for them too to potentially stay on the Portland side of the bracket if they can. Now, if you can be a number one seed, you'll go to Albany. But <laughs> if you're going to be a two seed, you want to stay on the Portland side uh, of this as well. So uh, that's the interesting thing. I think there's going to be one more committee reveal. I think it's next week, uh, if I remember correctly. And before the conference tournament start, well, they'll reveal where every team is at. And we'll see if USC's moved up, moved down, where exactly they're at. First, they got to take care of business this week, which we'll talk about in a minute. But what about the men? Where are they at? They moved up seven spots in the net to 101st. They were 108th before beating UCLA. But just nice to get a road win because only their second of the season in the Pac-12. They're 5-11, and which is 11th. And they're 11-16 and overall. Shotgun, it's the same issues. The lack of rebounding, although it was better against UCLA, the free throw percentage, the three-point defense, all very, very bad statistically, and those have been their big issues. I'm trying to remember where the net rankings, um, I had it pulled up at at some point uh, on my computer, but where the cutoff is for the quads in the net rankings. Because if USC's 101, they could help out some Pac-12 teams if they can climb up one one or a couple more spots and get inside the top 100. I th- I don't remember if the cutoff is 100 or if it, I think it's 75 for certain things. So I don't know. Anyways, they're at 101. The big thing is where are you at in the Pac-12 standings? Can you move up there to avoid playing 
Arizona or Washington State in the first game. Um, right now, as they'll be in the six eleven matchup, they would be playing. They'd be playing Cal, team that they could beat, team they could also beat them, which is what we say about pretty much all the Pac twelve. Uh, and we'll see how they do this week when they go up and play at Washington State. If this team is taking a step forward or not, it, it's still to be determined. So let's get into the preview. Where are the Trojans going this week? The men are on the road. Actually, both teams are on the road. I thought for some reason when we we're closing up with Lindsey Gottlieb, I thought someone was going to be at home, but that's incorrect. USC and the women of Troy are both on the road. The men are going to start on Thursday. Actually, let's start with the women because we'll just do it in order of play because, as you mentioned before we started taping, they play back-to-back both nights. The USC women will start at Arizona Thursday a 5 p.m. Pacific game that will be on Pac-12 Network. What I like about that too, Shotgun, is we mentioned it a few times on the show today, but the back-to-back, how Juju is great in that first game and then can look a little tired in the second game, it's, it's big that they're playing Arizona first, who's the better team compared to Arizona State. But yeah, USC on the women's side, they beat Arizona 81-64 earlier this month. Juju Watkins scored 32 points. Wasn't too efficient in that game, but got better as things went on. Arizona didn't have anyone over 13 points in that game. They're 16 and 12 on the season, eight and eight in the Pac-12. They're firmly on the bubble. I think ESPN's latest projection has them as the first four out. So a win against USC would be huge. They beat Stanford, which sort of gave them a lifeline in, into the NCAA tournament. This was always going to be a rebuilding year for Arizona, though. It's a game the the Trojans should win. Yeah, this is a team that has been decimated by injuries and other things. Like against USC, they were down to I think six players at the end of the game. So, because they had someone get uh, banged up in that game, but they're talented. Brea Cunningham is a former top 10 player in the country, was from, I think, San Diego area. USC was recruiting her at one point. Um, you know, they've gotten, they had a couple of transfers come in. They had, a, like I said, there's had injuries, they had a couple of season ending injuries that have really decimated them, but they're playing better recently. Not only did they beat uh, Stanford by seven on the road at Stanford. Uh, or no, excuse me. Yeah, on the road in Maples. You know how difficult that is to win. Then they go to Cal and beat up on Cal. They beat them by 19. They beat the weekend before that. They beat Washington and five overtimes. So they know how to find a way to win. And they beat Washington State by, you know, uh, 21 points. You know, all since, since the last time when they faced USC, when they got beat by USC, they've won their last four games and they've won them, you know, in, in different ways, including that win on the road. So, I think they're playing some of their best basketball of the season. So USC is not a game to take lightly. Um, it's going to be tough. The McHale Center is always a difficult place to play for men's or women's teams. So we'll see uh, you know, how the, the Trojans respond to that loss uh, to, to Utah over the weekend and see if they can bounce back and, and get a win at, at Arizona. Huge game. Huge game because of the standings and that the potential to push themselves in you know, if they win that game, I think they would lock up a top four seed. I don't know that's guaranteed, but I think they would since they're currently tied for second place. So, you know, if, if they do that, then that's huge because now you're you're getting a bye for sure. And then you got to go after that. Um, they'll play SU. They'll do that on Saturday morning at 11. That's a super early game, noon local time. Uh, USC should beat up on Arizona State there what, the worst team in the conference, I think it is? Them in Oregon. Them in Oregon. Yeah, Oregon's pretty terrible, too. 3-13 and 13 on the season for Arizona State, so we're not going to spend much time. USC should take care of business now. On the men's side, 
USC, like we said, it's a doubleheader on Thursday. They will play at 5 p.m. The women will play at 5. The men will play at 7.30. So make sure you're tuned in to Pac-12 Network. If you don't get Pac-12 Network, scream at somebody. There's only a couple more games left. Uh, but USC will will take on Washington State, who's been the story of the Pac-12 men's on the men's side all season. And one of the stories nationally, too, they win on the road against Arizona, follow that up with a tough loss against Arizona State. But any team who can beat Arizona on the road, I think is certainly worth talking about. They're number 19 in the country right now. They were actually in last place or tied for last place in the Pac-12 when they came to Galen Center back in January, and they beat USC 72-64. Isaac Jones scored a game-high 26 points. He, he's an interior player for them. USC just had no answer for him. He he got whatever he wanted. Boogie Ellis led USC with 18 points, but that was really the start of his hamstring bothering him. He missed the next few games for USC. And even though he was the top player on offense for the Trojans, it was clear in that second half that he just wasn't himself and he was hurt. Joshua Morgan missed the game. Isaiah Collier broke his hand in the second half. Just a bad night for, for USC all around. The fact that they had all that going against them and they were still close with Washington State is significant, but that game happened before Washington State was Washington State. So we'll see what happens in the future. Harrison Hornery hit a three to put USC ahead 64-63 with 2.16 left, and then they didn't score again. Washington State 21-7 and on the year, 12-5 and in the Pac-12. Isaac Jones is their go-to guy, although they have some other really good players as well. DJ Rodman will be making his return to Pullman in this game. A lot of intrigue around this one for me, Shotgun. I think Washington State, of course, you could talk about them just because they're such a pleasant surprise. And then USC with Robin going back and now being finally healthy, this game has some juice and not a lot of USC men's games have had juice lately. <laughs> um, I think they've won 10, um, 10 of 12 since playing USC. So you throw in the USC game, 11 of 13 there. Uh, and the interesting thing is they've beaten Arizona twice in that stretch. Yeah. But guess who their two losses are to? Arizona you know, State. Who you, else? you know Arizona State be, you know, beat them, and Arizona State's been playing terribly recently. The other loss is to Cal. Yeah, I was going to so, guess. So, you know, it's it's kind of strange, which tells me maybe their team, because they're not used to being good, gets up for the big games and can have a letdown, and maybe that's an opportunity for USC to come in and, and you know, make some noise here. And like you said, there is some intrigue with DJ Rodman returning back. Uh, and USC is not played great in Pullman, but they've almost always been really close games in the past, you know, and maybe that won't be the case if USC is not the better team as they have been in the past. But I think it's a really intriguing matchup because you get Joshua Morgan back, like you said, that Isaac Jones dominated them in the paint. He got whatever he wanted previously, but to have Joshua Morgan back after he wasn't available in that game, it was huge. It was so noticeable when he wasn't in there. So if he's back, does that change things? And, you know, can USC actually close strong? That's something we're still looking for, too. You know, like you said, they went ahead in that game. Harrison Hornery, big three, and then nothing else the rest of the game as they finished the game, what, a 9-0 run or something like that. So I'm curious about this game. I think we'll see – not that we're going to learn anything new about this group. We've learned a ton about them already. But I think we'll see if there is any juice there for them for the next week and a half. Um, you know, if they if they come out flat and get blown out, then there's no thoughts even about the Pac-12 tournament even being interesting. If they come out and do something, okay, they say, all right, maybe they've actually built on the UCLA game. Washington, they'll play them on Saturday. It'll be a game on CBS for some unknown reason at 1 p.m. 
maybe they can build on their couple of games and, and beat Washington. Those type of things are, are the type of things that momentum are made of. And this is the time of year where you can get some momentum and start going and we'll see what USC can do. Cause then they would play Arizona, Arizona state, the final weekend of the regular season before going to the Pac-12 tournament. And maybe they can climb their way up a couple spots in the standings, but it all starts with Thursday. What they can do on the Palouse is not a place that's easy to get up for. Rah, rah, let's go. But I think it'll be a pretty good atmosphere with how well Washington State's been playing. And again, with DJ Robin being back. So maybe that'll help them get into the flow and get going early. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what we get from this team. If it's the same old team, if it's something we're seeing new, I don't know. It's a, it's a big, uh, big mystery box for me this game, I think. Me, me too. And, and if they do play well and, and get a win, that will convince me that, okay, maybe they have a chance to do something. But just the way that UCLA game went, the mistakes that USC made, even though they were able to overcome them, how bad UCLA was on offense. I need to see a more convincing win before I am close to, to where you're at. So Washington State, it's a good opportunity. USC has not been good on the road. We'll see. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the USC Triple Double Podcast, part of the Peristyle Podcast family. Please help us out and like, share, subscribe, and leave us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. Also, we always welcome your feedback, comments, or questions at podcast at uscfootball.com. Connor, any final thoughts for this week? Don't lose to Washington after two. Mike Hopkins, <laughs> lame duck coach. They don't play any defense. Don't lose to the Huskies. That would be classic USC blow out Washington state, a top 25 team, and then just lay a complete egg against Washington. Um, that, that, that would be classic for what this team has been this season with the ups and downs, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling saying thank you to USC women's head coach, Lindsay Gottlieb for joining us. Our favorite, our favorite guest on the show. Well, thank you to my co-host Connor Morissette. And thank you to everyone out there for taking the time to listen. Hopefully you all will join us for the next episode of the USC triple double podcast. 